Stories from California Cattle Country is produced by California Cattlemen Foundation and receives support from the California Cattle Council. We've created this podcast to communicate the stories of people and practices from far-flung ranches and dairies throughout the state to better connect them with the customers they serve. I'd driven past Temple Creek Ranch in Tomales on my way to camp at Dillon Beach, where it wasn't abnormal to wake up in your tent on the beach in Bodega Bay surrounded by cows. The cows at Temple Creek Ranch are of similar temperament, always curious and often close by. This is an idyllic place for the cattle and any human visitors. Like so many other ranchers, Lauren Poncha has diversified developing flows of other ranch income. Given the beauty of Stemple Creek, its climate and proximity to the ocean, they've opted into agritourism, opposed to leasing out land for things like cellular towers. Several of the original outbuildings have been converted to vacation rentals, and the milking barn is now an event space. After a tour of the ranch on a side-by-side with his dog, Maisie, we sat with Lauren to learn a bit about the ranch's history, selling beef directly to consumers, and some of the benefits of using every part of the cow. So, Maisie, get in the back. Get in the back. Do not jump out until I tell you. Kettle. Stay. These are my neighbors. The hungry one? I'm Ryan Donahue, and this is Stories from California Cattle Country. Cool. Yeah. Um, so my name is Lauren Poncha. I'm a co-owner of Stemple Creek Ranch here in Tamales, California. I'm actually a fourth generation rancher here. My great grandfather immigrated here from Garzano, Italy in 1897. So we've been continuously farming or ranching here on this property for the last 120 something years. When you started processing entire cows, you kind of came to a realization on, on how to learn about cooking these other cuts and finding new cuts. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So about 15 years ago, we started Stemple Creek Ranch with the goal of being able to sell everything that we raised on the farm or ranch direct to consumers. And that started as like a freezer beef, locker beef type program where we had a quarter beef, half beef, whole beef. So in order to do that, effectively, we sold, you know, half a beef and we had a half a beef for ourselves. And previous to doing this, you know, when I was a kid, we would harvest a beef for ourselves, but I wasn't the one cooking it. My mom would cook it. We had a lot of pot roast and a lot of hamburger and very few steaks. When we started Stemple Creek Ranch and I realized you know, all the other pieces of the animal that we needed to get rid of or cook. Prior to that, I would, you know, I would go to Costco and buy ribeyes, New York's fillets and tri-tips. That was pretty much it. When you have a freezer full of meat, you have to learn how to cook it all. So when we started this very quickly, we learned that, you know, man, there's a flavor explosion and we were missing a lot of the best cuts of the animal by just focusing on those primals, not on things like shanks and things like stew meat and things like oxtails and cheeks and cow tongues. So we had to learn how to cook from head to tail, which a lot of restaurants are now doing and focusing on the more unique cuts that maybe there's not quite as many on the animal, but are super delicious. Like the cheeks, for example, are like one of the most amazing parts of the animal, but you have to cook it differently and it's not very common you know, in the American culture, in the Hispanic culture, some other other cultures, it's actually prized to make cachetes, you know, and make really good, awesome tacos from cheeks. So 
Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was just out of college, it was there was the time when tri-tip wasn't very popular. And I don't know if it was from Santa Maria or what happened, but it went from like $2 a pound to 7 or $8 a pound like overnight. And I was like, oh, that was the the one good you know cut of beef I could get or I could afford at the time. You definitely have that right. And the other thing that we've seen over the years is, you know, we've been doing this now for almost 15 years is a lot of the restaurants that we work with, we have chefs that are like, hey, I want 60 pounds of hanger steak. I'm like, well, hanger steak, 15 years ago, you wouldn't even see it on a menu. And it was a you know, butcher steak. They would take it home because it was so delicious. But there's only two to three pounds per animal. So I try and I, we have to educate our chefs on this and be like, listen, you we can't get you 60 pounds of hanger steak or we can like once a month, but not every day or every week. <clears throat> Some of the unique ones that, that a lot of people don't know about is called a spider steak or an oyster steak. There's only about a half to a one pound per animal. It comes like by the hip socket and it's super delicious. It's very similar to what, like a flat iron texture. But even 15 years ago, flat iron was not common. And now it's one of my favorite steaks. And then, you know, if we don't have a filet and somebody wants a tender flavorful cut, flat iron is a great alternative because it's pretty hard to screw it up. It's fine texture, it's super tender, it's great flavor. You know, I never even knew about it 15 years ago. So. There's, and even now, if you go to Costco, you probably don't see flat iron, um, but flat iron is from the chuck and it's a really delicious, awesome piece of meat. Yeah. When we started our restaurant uh, in Sacramento a while back, it was kind of meat centric and forward. And we went on with some things like we did chicken hearts and things like that. Some of the things that were the most popular was we did a beef tartare, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's super simple. It's delicious. And you can use a lot of different cuts for it. In fact, you don't want something super fatty or marbled. Like right. you want it to be a little leaner. <clears throat> Another thing that we had a lot of popularity with was bone marrow, just roasted bone marrow. And to me, it was fascinating. There's a little bit of preparation that needs to be done. It needs to be soaked and things like that. But a lot of people are cooking at home, you know, and, and, and bone marrow is one of those things. You just have to roast it and spread it on bread. And, and there, good salt, good salt. You were talking about kind of the flip-flop with COVID, how a lot of your restaurant clients were not ordering as much, but on the other end, you were getting orders for people that are cooking at home. Have you seen any, any like positive trends, like people are, are being more, are they just looking for steaks? Or are they kind of looking for fun stuff too? Are they l willing to learn? Well, I think that with the onset of COVID, people became really scared about food security and they actually... We saw a massive uptick in whole animal purchases during COVID. And most of my rancher buddies saw the same thing. You know, people that were never selling beef direct to consumers all of a sudden sold 10, 10 or 15 beef to the consumers during like the peak of COVID, the very beginning of COVID. Yes, the home cook got more ex educated, I would say, and tried to cook different things. And it actually, the beginning of COVID was like a reset for many families to like start eating together again and like cooking a meal at home. People weren't cooking oxtails or like I say, like you look at a cut like top sirloin, totally underrated. But when you get into a top sirloin and you compare it to a tri-tip, it's like, dude, I'd take top sirloin every day over tri-tip. And yeah. it's affordable and you have that amazing sirloin cap, which is the picanha, which is the most coveted piece of meat on a whole animal in South America. Right. And Americans are like, oh, it's a sirloin cap. Dude, cook it differently. It's the most amazing piece. You know, it's like Eric or B. Miller. We met we met at a Butcher's Guild conference. They liked the beef that we cut up in a demonstration in that conference. They came and visited us. They saw what we were doing. They really liked what we were doing. 
And they said, we're going to open with your beef. And they opened with our beef. And now we're five or six years later. And every single week we, we send a whole animal or two to Sacramento. And Eric and his team cut it all up and, and display it nicely in their counters. And they have the same conversations. They're basically the liaison to the consumer. And they tell our story to the consumer every day and why this beef is special. I initially came by Stemple Creek via my local butcher, who has carried Lauren's beef since opening seven years ago. Every week, full sides of beef from Stemple are carried through the butcher's back door and broken down for V. Miller customers. We set up a mic in V. Miller's tiny office and spoke with Eric about his history in the business and his long-standing relationship with Stemple Creek. Uh, my name is Eric Veldman Miller, and I'm the owner at V. Miller Meats, a whole animal butchery in Sacramento. And we've been operating for... We just finished our seventh Christmas season. I was opening this shop. I had walls, I had floors, I had cases. I didn't have any meat. So I went to this, uh, it's defunct now, but it was this thing called the Butcher's Guild where a few people that were opening butcher shops or had butcher shops in San Francisco, namely, and in Sonoma County too. I met one of my best friends there. They, it was just like this little like club that we all kind of got together and Lauren came in and did like a, a speech and like while I was building out, I was trying to source all these meats. I knew I wanted grass-fed and grass-finished beef. And Lauren, like Oscar was doing a beef demo and he's just like, this beef's amazing. I'm just staring at this carcass as they're breaking it down. Like, this is beautiful. This is what I want to use. And I just talked to Lauren. He's like, well, yeah, we can probably work something out. Why don't you come to the ranch and we'll, we'll figure it out. So I drove up to the ranch and I was just like, this guy's cool. He's doing it the right way. Um, Somebody a long time ago told me, like, if you go to a ranch and the animals run away from you, you're supposed to run the other way, too. And I walked up and literally, like, handful of grass and his cows were like, hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah. They don't care. Like, I've stood on the ranch and the cows are, like, rubbing on you. And mm -hmm. you're like, this is really weird. Mm -hmm. And I just started working with Lauren. You said it earlier, he's an idea man. <laughs> you know, and yeah. rancher, ranchers and butchers, we have, like, this symbiotic relationship, right? Yeah where uh, butchers all think we know how the ranchers supposed to do it and the ranchers all think they know what we're supposed to do. I started butchering in restaurants about 25 years ago and just doing all of the you know service cuts and breaking down chickens and breaking down primals and things like that and just kind of got into it to the point where I knew I wanted to do more with it. But unfortunately there wasn't a whole lot of places to do it so I started teaching at Le Cordon Bleu after I left the restaurant. We just, we figured out we were having twins and restaurant life wasn't awesome. And so I was doing like teaching the butchery program and teaching the charcuterie program and all these things that like I picked up along the way just by learning them from picking other people's brains. The little light went off, it was like, we're taking people's money and there's, we're not really bettering their lives. My wife and I discussed like what was going to happen, what was next with uh, my career. Like I'm not motivated to own a restaurant. I flew to New York to kind of go search for Inspirato. <laughs> I went into a, a restaurant right across the street from my brother-in-law's house in Brooklyn. The server was just like, "Oh, we you know we make our own bacon over. We have a butcher shop next to the restaurant." And I was like, "That sounds really cool." So I went over there. This guy's just like picking through trim, like the most horrible butcher job. I just picked this guy's brain. His name is Drew. And he was like, he talked to me for like an hour. I was like, this is so cool. And then he was like, you should go check out this place. And there was like five other butcher shops within, within walking distance, really. And I just went in and everybody I spoke with at these, they're all busy, you know, 
and they were all super cool. I'm like, where do you get your animals then? And they're like, oh, this is like, you know, right from the farm to us. And these guys are like, all this is naturally raised. And I'm like, click, 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 right? Sacramento, like you can go to any farmer's market in the summertime, four or five days a week. We have all this great produce. I'm like, there must be meat to be had. The trick was we could sell like nose to tail or any shop could probably sell nose to tail, it'd be tough. With our backgrounds in cooking, we can like, we're like they'll wave, somebody will wave a, rest, uh, a recipe in your face and you're like, oh yeah, that's cool, but you need this, not that. And so we can kind of, you know, teach people how to use these things because, you know, it's really easy to cook a tenderloin. It's really easy to, oh, and that's tender, yay. But like to kind of coax flavor and textures out of all these meals, that's really, that's where we kind of shine. Again, like in the beginning, it was tough because people didn't know us. They didn't trust us. So we ended up, you know, we, a lot of it went into like, we make a dog food blend and beef jerky, like a lot of the leg, back leg. It's not, it's, you know, it's not a, a particularly appeasing piece of meat. It's, you know, there's three or four muscles in there that it's just like, it's pretty lean. And, you know, depending on how you cook it, it's, it could be wrong. Right now, like our trash cans at the end of the day are light. You know, most, like all the bones go into bone broth or they go into soup. Like all the fat gets rendered down and used in cooking or we sell it. That's, there's like whole new avenues that have been like coming out in the last couple of years with kind of the reason we're here, right? Is like the organ meats and the awful and, you know, you know, heart, liver, kidney, spleen, tongue, tail. Pretty much every week we get a beef and a half and then usually just the awful from one beef, although it's, that's, that's changing. We're getting more and more of it. Um, so we'll get a whole liver, which is about eh, 10, 12 pounds. And then that'll get cleaned up and portioned and, and sold. Uh, liver sells really well. Kidneys sell pretty good. The heart sells out. We sell out of the heart and liver really fast. Huh. Like usually when the beef comes on Tuesday, there's pre-orders for all of it. And then we don't we just don't have any more. Uh, again, like the tongue is kind of like a, you know, almost a, like an international. There's a lot of like. You know, the European, uh, European customers like really like tongue boiled and, and sliced, but like, uh, you know, for lingua and, and all that kind of stuff. So that, that sells too. The cheeks are really good. The oxtail is really, really good. I saw a steak in there and I hadn't heard of the cut before. So I called it coulette or The coulot, coulot. yeah, coulot. that's, that? it's a cut off of the picanha, which is okay. the sirloin cap. Yeah. Um, so like Brazilian steakhouse, Yeah. That's a, it's a coulot. So usually we try to sell those roasts whole because they're, it's, it's like a, a way better tri-tip you can treat it like like i cooked the best tri-tip well cool try it with this and it's like like twice as good so the moral of the story here is if you don't have a proper butcher go get one one of my favorite and simple applications of beef offal also known as the variety meats is roasted bone marrow call your butcher and request cut marrow bones cut lengthwise as preferred and it's best to soak the bones in cold salted water overnight to remove any impurities uh, but a lot of people skip this step out of convenience dry the bones and roast the marrow side up in a 450 degree oven until the marrow browns keep an eye on it after 10 minutes or so, the marrow could eventually melt off the bone completely. Add some good salt and enjoy over toast. In our restaurant, we'd also offer a optional whiskey luge down the finished bone straight into the diner's mouth, but that's optional. If you'd like to see photographs from our visit, go to www.calcattlecouncil.org. If there's something you'd like to hear on stories from California cattle country, you can contact me directly at ryan at calcattleman.org or leave comments on our various social media posts. Thanks for listening.